This morning I'm excited because we're going to do something a little different. I'm not going to preach this morning. I'm going to invite someone else to share. And I'm excited to uh, have him share because he's recognized some of the things we've been talking about in his story. Uh, we've been talking about divine assignments, exploring God's call. And so we've been, we've been looking at ways that God has called different people in the Bible. So we get to hear from somebody in, in our congregation about how God's worked in his life. Uh, Psalm 107, 1-2 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You know, we've been looking at stories of the redeemed, of people who have put their faith and hope in God. People in the Old Testament, in our series, Divine Assignments, today... We're going to hear from somebody else and so uh, that, that's more current in our congregation. I know I told you last week, we told you that Brad Long would be sharing his story. Uh, he got sick, unfortunately, over the course of the week. And so I said, hey, just get better and we'll hear from you next week. Uh, in the meantime, I was hearing, uh, uh, being reminded of somebody else who had uh, so many things going on in the last couple years in his life. And I was been encouraged by his story. Some of the people in his life group have been encouraged by his story. So I thought, let's have him come up and share for all of us to be encouraged by his story. So Craig Hutton, if you could come up. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Um, if you could come up. <laughs> I'll give you the taller seat. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so this is Craig. Thank you. Craig, uh, you, you two years ago... You went through something that was quite significant in your life. And so, uh, as I've heard bits and pieces, I've been excited. And I just wanted you to kind of take us through what, what happened two years ago. Well, um, definitely our, our whole family has uh, been through quite a journey over the last two years. And uh, if there's one thing that I, that I just want to start off with, you know, God is good all the time. And uh, that's one thing that I, if, if anything you get out of anything over the next few minutes, it's that. Uh, our journey actually started two years ago. Uh, my wife, Deb, and I were uh, in Southern California, uh, just south of Palm Springs, staying in a campground. And uh, we had actually, uh, were moving uh, from one campsite to another. And, and uh, we came across um, a bunch of cyclists going by. And, uh, and I knew they were part of the uh, the Tour to Palm Springs bike race, and I thought, oh, that'd be so neat, you know? What a neat thing to do. And uh, I had been enrolled in the, uh, in the Okanagan Grand Fondle, but because of COVID, that had been canceled. And so anyway, I just thought that was a neat thing. And, and Deb and I were talking, and in the past, I've always been concerned about my heart. And um, there's a family history of, of heart disease uh, with my sister, with, with my dad, and and, and with family, and I've always been concerned. Uh, we've always been trying to eat right and exercise, and, and uh, evidenced by the fact that we're even trying to get ready to do the fond, Grand Fondo the year before. Uh, a health professional actually had said, uh, well, if you're concerned about it, why don't you have a coronary calcium score test done? Never really heard of it. And uh, they do that in the States and at these private clinics. We don't really do them up here. And um, so I thought, why not? So uh, Deb was saying, if you want to do something like that, maybe let's get that test done. So we called them up to one of the clinics, and uh, they said, I'm sorry, we don't really deal with 
uh, with Canadian insurance. And I said, well, do you deal with cash? And they said, yes, we do. And, uh, and we have an opening Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning. So, so I thought, woohoo, okay. So uh, for $199, I'll go in there and, and uh, I get this coronary calcium score done. And, and about a day later, we get the results. And didn't quite really understand the, the figures and the numbers. And, and it was a fairly in and out, like a, literally a 10-second scan. And um, the uh, radiologist actually called us. And um, uh, one of the owners of the clinic, and he, and he said, well, he said, there's no doctor referral on here. And so I explained the story, just kind of doing this on my own. I'm healthy. And uh, so he said, well, I've got a bit of a concern. The coronary calcium score is a, is a score of zero to 300. And just determining how much calcium buildup is inside of your arteries. Um, so he said, you're over the 300. And I said, well, how about how, how much? He said, well, you're at 2,300. Okay. So uh, I want you to come back in again. Uh, can you come in this afternoon at four? Our tech is going to stay late. I will stay late. It's important that, that we do a further scan on you. So uh, for just a little bit more money, I, we went in there and we did a full, um, um, full scan on me in angiography. And uh, afterwards, the owner of the clinic said, come on in. And he said, you better get your wife. Uh, and uh, he had all his scans and all these, all these uh, monitors all up. And, and he, he, I sat down and uh, he rolled over to me and he grabbed my hand. And he said, Craig, I think you need to know how important this is. And he said, Craig, you've never been more closer to dying than right now. And I kind of went, just like the movies, you know how the camera just kind of goes in and everything focuses and just on him and the room goes dark. And, and, uh, and so he explained to me and, and actually got me to videotape what was happening on the screen. And he said, you have to take this serious. And he said, you have 11 blockages that are 80 to 90%. So, uh, and he said, one of them that's on the main artery, he said, it's got this crooked little, like a, like a 90 degree uh, blockage in there. He said, the smallest bit of... of uh, Anything that lets loose, he said, it's going to block in there. And, um, and he said, you only will have 90 minutes to live at that point. That changes your perspective in life instantly. And, and I had read a book years ago, and I'm passionate about the book. I've told a lot of people about it, one month to live. And if you knew you only had one month to live, how would your life change? You'd certainly be a lot nicer to people. And, and um, so... My world just literally came crashing down because Deb and I had done everything possible, humanly possible, to make sure that I was healthy. And despite all of that, I had all these blockages. So um, he suggested you better head for the border. And we did that. So we just not, he, he offered that he could get us a deal next door at a health clinic, at a health hospital, but to have open heart surgery would just win tens of thousands of dollars. So we took a three day journey trying calmly to get, to, to get back across the border and uh, trying to be a, have a stress-free drive pulling the trailer. Deb drove for quite a while and a little bit and I uh, was able to relax and Deb's a good driver pulling the trailer and on the freeway so we were able to kind of get some sleep and some rest but literally we're on pins and needles and, uh, of, what, of what could happen which was compounding things. Uh, stress is the last thing I need. So uh, anyway... Wow, so crazy news. You have all these emotions. What were some of the perspectives that God was changing in you? What, what, was, what was going on with you and God there? Yeah, 
And, and I think that's where it was reinforced, the whole fragility or frailty of life, I guess you would call, mm -hmm. about how you think you've got everything under control. Um, I have the type of personality that, that I like being under control, um, and that's hence why I don't deal with, with good with stress, and that's probably why my arteries got lined with calcium. It's just mm -hmm. that whole stress factor. And so my whole perspective started to change mm -hmm. in that... I can, I'm not in control. I have absolutely zero control here. I can try and stay calm, mm -hmm. but God ultimately is in control. And uh, at that point, all I kept thinking of was, was my family. I wanted to get back. We crossed the border and went right to Richmond where my son lives. And uh, we dropped in on him and, and dropped the bombshell in his lap about what was happening. Mm. And uh, that was emotional and, and trying to explain to him, okay, this is our next steps and this is what gonna, it's gonna happen. Um, we got home on the Sunday and into Richmond on the Sunday and then we drove home the next day and uh, was able to then to visit uh, with Amanda and Ray and family, my daughter who lives in town, and again explain what was happening. Um, Amanda is, works in, uh, at the hospital in imaging and of course her first thing was show me the scan, mm -hmm. <laughs> let me see this, you know. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, one of the things that the doctor, the radiologist has said, well, you must be experiencing chest pains or you must have symptoms. And I said, well, I have had this old boxing injury and, and uh, whenever I ride my bike a lot and longer journeys or I go uphill, I get this chest pain. And uh, in the fall, we just done a, a 70 kilometer ride south of Penticton, Mike and Kevin and, and uh, yeah, the chest pains came back. So we're trying to open up my chest so I can breathe more. And, and so the radiologist saying, well, that's, that wasn't from a chest injury. He said that you were having a heart attack. Mm. So he said, the moment you feel that again, you have to get to the ER. I said, because you only have 90 minutes to live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we got back on the Wednesday and uh, into town, into uh, at our house. Um, Thursday, I'm up, I think it was Thursday, up, up in the backyard. Deb's doing laundry, getting everything all back. And uh, I think you just put a load of laundry in and in the washing machine, and I'm in the backyard, and I just literally climbed a little bit. Our, our backyard is on a bit of a hill, and, and sure enough, there's that shortness of breath, and there's that pain right again, and I thought, okay, well, no tingling, no nothing, but it really hurt, hmm. and so I came inside, and I think, said to Deb, I said, I think you better drive me to the ER, and um, typical, I wanted to drive, and <laughs> she wouldn't let me, but uh, so we got to the ER, and they just took one look at me and said, why are you here, and I said, well, I get chest pains, and they said, so what? And um, so you look healthy, and they ran some tests and whatever. So hooked me up to a, an ECG, and well, it's a little bit of a blurb here. But uh, so they ran some blood tests, and and uh, came back, and cardiologist says, "Well, you just had a heart attack." Okay. So um, they didn't want to send me home. So, but they did, and I showed them the scan, and they, I guess we don't do these type of scans in Canada, and so they just said, "Well." The radiologist, they're probably just looking for a commission. They just want to send you to a, to a, a hospital and they'll get commission on, on getting some surgery done for you. So, okay. so they booked me in for an angiogram the next day and uh, the radiologist came back and said, said um, uh, as I mentioned before, the scans are not totally accurate. Um, you don't have 11 blockages, um, you have 12. <laughs> so, uh, and that's when that started another journey of... Uh, of then I was admitted and um, 
so, and then just being monitored and got, fortunately I got into a private room, everything was monitored, and that started, started the next journey of uh, there. So that's the Friday, and um, I was just stayed in the hospital room. I was monitored with a, uh, a, hooked up to a monitor that had four yellow lights and a red light. And uh, you could see me up on the screen. And when I wasn't allowed to leave the ward, but I could walk around. And the whole time you could sort of see your monitor, what your heart rates and everything were doing. Um, for the next little week or so, I, uh, they gave me some happy pills to, to kind of calm me down. So um, that kind of raised some concern afterwards thinking about it because some friends did come over and I don't know what I actually confessed to you guys. <laughs> Anyway, they're not telling me. They just kind of, let's leave it alone, Craig. So, okay. So, just let it go. Um, so, uh, that's sort of how it went. Yeah. So, uh, so, what happened? Um, you, one mo- you, told, you were telling me that one moment you were at home, and the next moment you were in the hospital getting ready for surgery. Tell, yes. tell that story. Um, the Wednesday, so my angiogram was on the Friday. By the Wednesday uh, of the next week, uh, there had been, uh, I guess the precursor to that as well is that every time there was a shift change, every time a cardiologist came in, they always explained this whole thing about what the monitor said. And every shift change, a nurse would always come in and say that if you feel chest pains or if that light turns red, um, this is what you are to do. You are to lay back, let us do the work, just breathe through the pain. And I said, and they kept saying over and over again, you, if something was to happen, if there's a blockage, you will only have 90 minutes to live. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's all I kept hearing over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah. So just reinforcing that whole thing about, I'm, I don't have any control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once, when, actually when Mike came in, we were joking around and, and I, think it, I think I had four lights lit up because we were laughing and the nurse uh-huh. kind of stuck her head in and said, calm down. Uh-huh. So, uh, so on the Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, um, again, we're just kind of waiting for a spot. Uh, a uh, administrator came in and, and uh, she came in the room and mid-morning and said, have you had breakfast? I said, no, not yet. And they said, don't eat anything. I said, I think you're up next. And um, so then she came back in again. Two nurses came in and they said, you're being prepped for surgery. You have to go get ready for surgery now. And, and uh, so like you're startling. Like again, it's just like that whole room just started to, to cave in and just to this, this focused area and just everything became quiet. And and, uh, and they said, there's risks. You have to call your family now. Hmm. And uh, so that's going to get you going a little bit. And I'm immediately looking down to see if the red light's going. Mm-hmm. But again, just trying to breathe through it. I called Deb. Um, she was, again, running in to try to get hold of the, uh, the kids. And uh, just again, just your life crashing down. Things were happening so fast. Mm-hmm. People just getting prepped, this is what you're going to have to do. Take this, take that, and different shots, and, and um, putting different lines in. And uh, so uh, Amanda was able, was working at the hospital, so my daughter came down, and we were able to say uh, some words. Um, my son in Richmond, um, Deb had gotten hold of her, so she, he was able to call me, and we had a short conversation on the phone and, and was able to say some things and some goodbyes mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. so the next little while was just panic, at the same time, my neighbor Rob Henson calls up out of the blue. Mm. 
and he hadn't called before. Good neighbor, and he knew I was in the hospital. And he calls up, and, uh, and he said, Craig, he said, I, I want to I talk to you a little bit. I said, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm a little, little panicky here, Rob. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I said, I want you to slow down. And he said, I want, you to, pr- I want to pray Philippians 4, 6 with you, or 4, four to 8. And I, th- and I thought, you've got to be kidding. M- my immediate thought was, I don't need bumper sticker theology at this point. My life is falling apart. I don't, you know, I almost said to him, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. And because uh, so many times when things go bad, people just throw these little phrases for you. And, and I just didn't need it. And uh, so he said, no, Craig, he said, I, I, he said, just give me a moment. He said, I feel like I need to talk to you. And I said, so I'm going to be paraphrasing what he told me. And uh, but he said, Craig, he said, he said, God's got this. He said, God's in control. And I thought, okay. And he said, Craig, I want you to, to just think. He said, it's a sunny, it's a sunny July day. And he said, you know the, the channel between, between Okanagan Lake and Skaha? I said, yeah. I said, have you ever seen the floaties going down? Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Used to work in Penticton. He said, well, Craig, I said, I want you to imagine, can you climb into a floaty? And I said, can you get in the floaty? I said, it's a sunny day. You can feel the warmth. And it's not too hot, not too cold. And they said, can you breathe in the air? I said, you feel the breeze? I said, actually, I do. But he said, I want you to close your eyes. And he said, Craig, I want you to think back about all the good things that God has done in your life. I want you to celebrate that. I said, right now, think of the times where God's got you through the past. And they said, I want you just to get comfortable in the floaty. He said, the next thing I said, I want you to do, he said, I want you to fold your arms across your chest and get all into the, the floaty. Tell God, ask God about, you know, your hearts, your desires, the fears that you're saying. Pray to him. Tell him what you're going through. And he said, Craig, the next thing I want you to do is put your feet in. I said, I just want you to leave things with God. You know God's got you through the past. You've asked him to do that, to watch over you and to your family. God's got control. Now I want you to leave it with him. And I said, Craig, your eyes are still shut. And I said, your arms your legs, everything's in. You're all in. I said, you're just going down with the current. Don't try to paddle. Don't try to touch the sides of the, the, the channel or the shore. I said, just let God go. Hmm. And, uh, and he said, then just meditate on the good things in life. Meditate that God's got you. And, uh, and I've never forgotten that because hmm. here the number one struggle that I've had in all my life is that anxiety that I'm not in control and, and trying to let things go and, and let God have control. And at the precise time, he listened to, Rob listened to the Holy Spirit and knew that he had to call me and that's the exact thing that I needed. So hmm. by that time, you, Deb got into the hotel room, into the uh, room, the hospital room, and then uh, from then on, it was just a whirlwind of, of helping me get ready and... Uh, and then Deb walking a very long walk with me, uh, holding my hand into the, uh, into the surgical ward. So, so you're, uh, as you think about divine assignments, as you've mentioned a couple times, your divine assignment at that moment was just to let God like, take over. Exactly. I want to control things. I can't. God, you take over. Yeah. Huh. And, and the, the verses clear. you referenced were um, Philippians 4, 4 to 8. Celebrate. Yep. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Um, do not be anxious about anything. Present your request to God. Ask. Yep. And the peace of God. Did you feel that peace? I think so. Once yeah. again, leaving it with him. Mm-hmm. And then verse 8, meditating. On, the, on what's, what's good and true and right. Yeah. So because of that, again, that's, that's sort of my divine assignment. Mm-hmm. Not just for then, but, but also yeah. for, the, for the next, if, well, even now. Yeah. Trying to let, let God have control and, and, and not me. And, mm-hmm. and there are some anxious moments. We've had them over the, even in the fall and mm-hmm. or Christmas and all this stuff. And just trying to think, no, no. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a very easy way to remember C-A-L-M, calm. Celebrate, ask, leave, and meditate. So back to that hallway. Deb's walking you down the hall. What happened? I go into surgery, and um, uh, I don't, again, remember too much. Um, fortunately, I had met the, uh, the surgeon uh, in a, just before uh, heading down into the room and also the anesthesiologist uh, when he had asked, you know, as far as all the different questions, as far as what do you want to do and, and stuff, and... Uh, and uh, I'd even mentioned to the, uh, to the anesthesiologist, I said, what, what I'm annoyed about is that this is now March, middle of March, and I had signed up for a, uh, a July bike race at the Okanagan Fondo. I said, that's what I was upset about. All this tr- stuff on, and it had been canceled and stuff. And he said, well, you know what? My wife is going in it. I'll tell your name and she'll ride for you. Um, and just before that, one of the administrative people and um, the week before, um, I had said, Will I be able to ride in July? And she said, no. <laughs> but she says, I'll remember you and I'll ride for you. Huh. So that's two in, wow. one, two in just in the shortest span of a week. So huh. I knew I had the support of that. So yeah, yeah I went off into surgery and uh, every lighthearted and, and I'd obviously never been into an operating room. So mm-hmm. I was a bit concerned about the, when they transfer you, your gown is all open. So you're trying to mm-hmm. be modest and the anesthesiologist pops his head up. Oh, don't worry about it, Craig. He said, they're all going to see you naked in a few minutes. <laughs> so anyway, I digress. So you go under, you like get off your topic surgery. again. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you told me about that. Take your note. Take note. So, so, uh, so you go under, uh, then what happened? Really? The next thing I remember, I think you have a slide on it. So um, right as far as, mm-hmm. yes, that's me uh, a few hours after waking up. I believe it was a seven-hour surgery mm-hmm. and uh, starting in the afternoon. And then uh, I don't really remember too much after that point. I think I, they had kind of got me up a little bit, but uh, probably about eight or nine o'clock in the morning. So um, Deb had taken that picture when she came in just to remind me of all the tubes and, and the life support. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have open heart surgery, um, you're basically dead for seven hours and, until they hook you back up again and, on, with the bypass machines. Um, they had ultimately done uh, a quadruple bypass. Uh, there was also a fifth one that ha- was also blocked, but it was bypassing on its own. Mm-hmm. And I guess just probably because I was forcing things a bit mm-hmm. much. But uh, anyway, so uh, there I am lying in the bed and and I, at this point here, I'm drugged. I don't even know what's going on at that point. I didn't really feel a whole lot of pain, just confusion, because you're trying to think, am I dead? Um, am I alive? And, you, and, and I'm drugged. So you, you start thinking, well, am I going to see an angel? Or did I see angels? Or, or uh, who's going to be the next person that's going to be coming in the room? And, and again, you start thinking, is it going to be like a Hollywood nurse is going to come in the room? And again, you're drugged. And... Um, so, and I hear Craig, 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 you okay? And, uh, and I looked and I thought, again, I didn't know if it was an angel or not, but I looked 
It was Jeff. <laughs> Your angel. <laughs> Jeff? A little disappointing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> like, now I'm really confused. Like, what are you doing here, Jeff? So, and that you're, maybe fill you in on what. <laughs> so I don't know how you managed so, to be there. But anyway. I think it was my divine assignment. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't even know you were waking up from surgery. So no. it was amazing. And you had been off on holidays, so you hadn't, didn't even really know too much on mm. what was happening. Yeah, so, kind of like Rob. We just felt something and, and we're there. came to see me. So you used your pastor card, I guess, to get me into ICU. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was huh. a bit different on that one there. So in like a couple of weeks, you went from vacationing in the sun to waking up from surgery, seeing your angel. <laughs> um, and then, and then yeah, <laughs> and then a year, a year later, about a year later, you're competing in a major cycling race. Yeah. What, what happened? Um, well, the, the important part of, and, and I know there's some exciting things that happened later on that year, but I think the real transformation is the next slide that, I have, that you have. And um, that's me sitting in, in my chair. And for two months, I, I couldn't drive. Um, couldn't really do a whole lot. I just sat in this chair in our, in our living room. And there's lots of times to think. We don't have a TV in our living room. Um, I look out over a, uh, uh, about a 30-acre hayfield that had been converted into a vineyard. So not a whole lot happening, you know, watching, watching grapevines grow. So uh, for two months, it had, it had high sides. So with your chest that's now stapled shut, you, I was able to just kind of wedge myself in there and, uh, and not move, because if you moved, you hurt. Um, when you have bypass surgery, you, uh, they take a vein, a donor veins from here to here. So that was all an incision, and then also from my ankle up, up to, my, uh, to my knee, and that was a big incision. So you didn't really want to move a lot. So that's sort of where my story, I think, began. The slow story. And where God's speaking to me and, and me spending some time in, in the boring moments in that chair. I was hoping that just, I think you even mentioned about you in one of your sermons a few weeks ago about your friend that heard God in the shower mm -hmm. and an audible, audible voice. And I didn't hear that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I had lots of time to read. And I think the physical, three things were happening, but the physical side of things was that my heart was starting to heal. And I know there was inflammation around the heart because of all the stuff that had happened, but which amplified, I think the, the fluid around your heart amplified the sound of your heartbeat. But you could feel your heartbeat. You could feel it. And I'd never felt that before. And it's an incredible feeling mm. to feel and to know that you're alive and that I got through this. And that I can't begin to tell you that, that even though I was hurting, you could start to feel over the days and the weeks that I was getting stronger, that I could breathe. And you don't realize that I had gone through years of having arteries plugged. And the best way word picture that I could describe for any of you who've had cataract surgery, they do one eye first. And, and when I had cataract surgery, that's just life. I didn't realize it, you know, the, that your eyesight's kind of going. But, but all of a sudden now you have one eye that's old and it's black and white and grays and not much color. And then all of a sudden your other eye that just got done, your cataracts got done, it's technicolor. Mm. It's, it's exciting. It's the blue sky and the green grass. 
That's the best way that I can describe to you how alive I felt, still sitting in that chair, not moving anywhere. And uh, so that little bandage on my neck, by the way, is where they have main lines in for you and stuff like that. But, um, that's where I started to realize that I felt just alive. And then you start going through Bible verses. Psalm 51 really started to mean something to me about, and I don't know why I thought about Psalm 51, but it did, and I meditated on a lot, and it just means so much because it says, cleanse your heart. And I kept thinking, God, cleanse my heart. Mm. I became a Christian a long time ago, and, and your heart gets kind of, your mind, everything, it just gets dirtied up. And, and I kept thinking, just as I have a new heart, I wanted to have a new spiritual heart as well. So the two analogies came by. And then I kept thinking, you know, about, about when I first became a believer. And I'm sure we all remember the day that we invited Jesus Christ into our life, how alive we felt. Mm. And I don't know if you remember that, but, but one, one day we're... we're we're being buried in whether it's guilt or whether it's shame for feeling shame for things that we didn't even do, things that we didn't even have control over, but we paralyzed us. And yet all of a sudden, within a moment, we start to feel freedom. We start to feel the Holy Spirit come through us. And I wanted that back again. And that's where I came from, the healing of the heart, but also from that. And, and Kevin, one of these days, would Got to sing that song, you know, over and over again while I'm singing, while I'm sitting in there, that same song kept coming, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. It was just over and over and over again for two months. The only time I got a break from that chair was um, Brad called me up one time and, and let's go for coffee. And so I was able to, Deb helped me down the stairs and with my heart pillow that they give you at the, the hospital when you leave and, and telling you to hug it. And, and uh, Brad pulled up to the, to the driveway and, and uh, his, his uh, van is quite low and so I was able to get in and out and we went for coffee. Another time Mike came by and, and, uh, and also came by and uh, went for coffee and we just drove around. And his car has a heated seat, so it's kind of nice. <laughs> so anyway, oops. So, um, <clears throat> so you... You started this recovery process, and it was healing for both your body and for your, your soul, this joy uh, at being alive in the Lord, being alive in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you started to kind of uh, think about what you wanted to be known for, and, and yeah. one of the things uh, was you wanted to get back into cycling yeah. and stuff, and so you started working at that. What, what kind of kept you going through, well, these, through all this? The spiritual side was going, meditating on Psalm 51. At the same time, I'm also reading a book called Atomic Habits. And atomic, it's just your protons and neutrons, but something small. And I realized that if I was going to make a change in my life, I had to make a change on a lot of little things. Mm. And that's the other transformation. But also it says, what do you want to be, who do you want to be a year from now? What do you want to be known for? And I just kept thinking over again, I want to be known as an avid cyclist who climbs mountains with my wife and be known as a man of God. And so that's why I thought, okay, what are the changes? Is there relationships that are kind of not good in my life? I have to read the Bible more. And so just a series of little changes that I knew I was going to have to make. At the same time, I was going through the coach recovery, heart recovery, cardiac recovery program at the hospital. And, and the therapist said the same thing. You have to decide who you want to be. Mm -hmm a year from now. Basically, you're going to be a victim of what happened or 
Who, what are you going to be known for? In other words, as Atomic Habits says, and also 30 days or one month to live, what's going to be on your tombstone? Hmm. And um, so, anyway, so it's that's very, sort of yeah. the, the parallel lines that we're going for. Yeah, right. So, so you started recovering. There's a picture of you pushing the lawnmower. Boring stuff like and, that. Uh, Deb still had to yeah. start it for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's speaking of being in control. Yeah. I had to, to watch Deb uh, cut the lawn. So anyway, after about a month, enough of that. So she managed to pull the cord and I could just, if, as soon as it stopped, I had to get her to pull the cord again. So, and, yeah. then, and then you found yourself competing in, yeah. a, in a road, I don't know if that's a picture of the road race yeah, or not. Yeah, no, but, it's not. But, so uh, but again, this is part of the process. So. That's a part of the process. The mm -hmm. next year, so to, this is now uh, February 2023. Deb and I went down uh, again to, uh, to Southern California and uh, started uh, prepping for the race. And I'm going to go in the Tour to Palm Springs. Um, a lot of people had helped me do a lot of practice. Uh, we spent a lot of miles on, on, on the road with cycling. But so... We got there a bit earlier to the race, and we did a lot of um, a lot of cycling. This is a stretch of road, actually, at the top of a hill. Uh, one of the uh, arch nemesis of this race is this big, huge, long hill coming up out of Palm Springs. And Deb says, "Well, let's practice it. Let's get over your fears." So Deb would drop me at the top bottom of the hill, and I'd ride to the ten miles or so up to the top of the hill, and um, then uh, we'd drive me down again and do it again. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what we did for the day. Hmm. And then, um, next slide is, uh, is actually uh, Mike and Lori drove down and um, we also uh, did a lot of riding. Now, Lori <laughs> spent some boring times with Deb, feel bad about that, leapfrogging us, uh, dropping Mike at the bottom of the hill, Mike and I, and we sail back up there again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a, that was a process. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was on that one there. And one of the things you shared with me was that um, s the things that got you through were people, like yes. Deb, being able to Family. do that. And then, and then Mike coming yep. down, you know, saying, I'll join you. And he came down and joined you. And, yeah. and so, uh, yeah. That was, that was a new experience. Again, um, I tend to be a person in control. There's that thing that comes up again, I'm not relying too much on people. Um, friends have said in the past, you know, okay, well, let's do this. And they don't really follow through. So uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised when Mike showed up. We did, uh, you know, he encouraged me over the year and in the fall and stuff, like, let's do this, let's do this together, and, mm -hmm. and kind of an encouragement to, to overcome, and, and so you're not seen as a victim, but let's get some victory in this. And uh, so, yeah, hmm. Mike showed up. Yeah. And uh, two days later, um, we did the, the uh, Palm Springs ride, and uh, that's... Somehow Mike got ahead of me. I don't know how he did that the last minute. But uh, the ride was a, a story in itself. Um, 10,000 riders, uh, lots of marching bands, uh, just an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. um, Mike and I went up the hill without any issue. And then we had to, halfway through, we started the long, uh, a long, long process of up and down hills. And it was ag actually agony. Mm -hmm. And uh, it very... Um, emotionally draining because you think you're at the top of a hill and then you go down, there's another one. Mm. So, um, and, and I've mentioned before about how you can't do life together. And again, one of the most amazing analogies that I can say about, about not doing life together, especially as, as believers, but doing it together. I was having difficulty about halfway through 
and uh, it could have been the meatloaf that I had uh, at, the, at the aid station about halfway through. I mean, they had ice cream, they had everything. And uh, maybe I ate too much, I don't know. Um, but we're on this long stretch, the wind had picked up and I was losing it, I'd cramped up. Um, it just exhausting. And uh, Mike said, get on my wheel. And when you're cycling, what that means is that I had to get in within about two or three inches or so of his back wheel. And, uh, and I had to trust him. And I didn't want to do that because he was struggling as well. I mean, this wasn't easy. And he said, no, friendship is when I offer you something. But friendship isn't friendship is until it's a two-way street, until you accept my offer mm. of friendship. So get on your wheel. We'll get on my wheel. Mm. So, um, so for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 miles, um, Mike stood up. And, uh, and I drafted in behind him and it became 30% 30, 30 easier uh, to, do, to do that race mm -hmm. and to do that ride. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of a, a better analogy about doing life together. And we think of all the people that have involved in our lives about getting us through the day and getting us through our faith journeys. Um, Ron and Cheryl, faithfully, faithfully take the wheel, mm -hmm. you know, doing small groups and leadership around here. I can't begin to tell you what that means mm -hmm. to just you know, draft in you and, and, uh, and how much support. Mm -hmm. and, and Kevin, we did the same thing, you know, when we were riding as well. So uh, anyway, we, uh, we got through the race and, um, and we did that. So that was, uh, we, we actually don't look too bad, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> right after the race. That was yeah. a 90-kilometer race. I think yeah. it was about just under five hours, four mm -hmm. hours and 45 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and and so great accomplishment, but mm -hmm. I, I think the accomplishment was, was the things that I've learned. Just after that, uh, we continued to ride and we did uh, the Penticton, the Okanagan Grand Fondle later in the year. And again, we just didn't do that together. We rode as a friend. And I think Mike and I probably rode the equivalent of, of uh, from here to Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of practice, Kevin joining us. Later in the year, um, of last year, um, Richard joined us. And amazing getting to know Richard. Again, doing life together, encouraging one another, and getting to know each other. It was special. And during the, the Okanagan Fondo for a while, uh, Richard was in, he's a machine, I've never hardly ridden before, and yet he, he just was such a strong rider and going along Highway 97, heading to Oliver. And, and um, even, even Richard said, get on my wheel. And so to make life easier, we have to do things together. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I got out of this, doing life together, mm -hmm. getting involved with each other's lives. So. Thank you. Um, it's been two years. You, um, you've reflected over those two oh, years a lot. Yeah. And you, yeah. Anything else you want to share about divine assignments before uh, wrapping up? You know, I think the, it's two ways. Um, Accept the friendship that God, the people in your life, and accept that. Mm. But more importantly, whether it was you, your divine assignment coming in that day of the hospital room, mm -hmm. um, or all these other different people that were coming into my life, my neighbor Rob calling me up at just the last minute, I thought, there's a lot of divine assignments. It's not just being called to Zambia and getting this, this audible voice it's listening to the Holy Spirit and knowing when to call a friend mm -hmm. and, and knowing when to call somebody and say, let's go for coffee mm -hmm. and getting to know somebody and getting involved in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And I said, is that our divine assignment? It's just the little things, mm -hmm. the atomic habits. 
What do we want to be known as our church for? Is it just a whole bunch of little things that just made an incredible difference? And, um, you know, and what, what do we personally do we want to be known for one year from now? I certainly didn't want to be known as a victim. I wanted to overcome this. I wanted to show myself. I wanted to show my family and be an example of what you can do. But you can't do it without family. I could not have done it without Deb. And just the little things. I know she thought I was crazy doing the Tour de Palm Springs, but she drove me to the bottom of the hill and, mm. and leapfrogged me just to make sure I wasn't keeled over somewhere in the ditch. So it's about doing life together and getting involved in a small group and getting involved in somebody's life and making a difference. So I think that's what I got out of it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to think this through and to share with us and, um, and just this journey that you've been on where you, uh, where you watched God at work. And so... Uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you sharing. Okay. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and just before uh, Kevin and the, the band play uh, one last song for us, I, I wanted Craig to share this stuff because um, for several different reasons. One is uh, Psalm 107 tells us that the redeemed, let the redeemed tell their story. And uh, he had a story to tell. He was following a divine assignment. God, God asked him, I, well, I think God asked me to ask him to share, and so he was following a divine assignment, just being up here. And we were encouraged and inspired by his story. Um, we look forward to hearing more stories over the next several weeks from new members that we've, we've uh, joined, have, that have joined us since our AGM. Brad Long will be sharing next week. And uh, I hope you're starting to see how what we're trying to do with our Divine Assignments series. It's not just about, like Craig just said, it's not just about one call that I have to find out for the course of my life. It's, it can be that, but it's also a series of listening. In the fall, we talked about Taste of the Kingdom, uh, this uh, walking in the Spirit. And it was all about listening and being aware of the Spirit at work in our life. And, uh, and I think Divine Assignments is just a continuation of that. It's listening, being aware of, following those promptings. Uh, these are our divine assignments. So uh, let's sing together.